This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Well, next week, uh, we begin a new series that Pastor Brian will take us through called Meet Jesus. And one of the things that it will help us to do, prayerfully help us to do, is to, to grow in our evangelistic skills as we see and grow in our wonder of Jesus. And so this, this morning, I want us to look at a passage that kind of kickstarts that in John chapter 1. So you turn with me there, John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 43 through 51. John chapter 1, the first chapter, verses 43 to 51. Hear God's word. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So I want us to look at this passage from two angles, the identity of Jesus and the exclusivity of Jesus. So first, let's look at the identity of Jesus. Some context here is helpful for us as we look at God's word And prior to this, we see on the scene, John the Baptist, he's being questioned about who he is. But John the Baptist was actually prophesied in the Old Testament. We see this in Malachi chapter 4. We also see it in Isaiah that John the Baptist would be the one who would come before the Lord to prepare the way of the Lord. He himself was not the Christ or the Messiah, He was just pointing people to the Messiah. So John the Baptist had disciples, 
But when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And one of his disciples by the name of Andrew begins to follow Jesus. And then he tells his brother, Peter, and Peter begins to follow Jesus. And so now, in verse 44, we see that Philip was also from the same city as Andrew and Peter. So Jesus is calling disciples to himself. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. And so what does Philip do? Look at verse 45. It says, Philip found Nathanael. And said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel, you'll see his name a few times in the gospel accounts, but you'll also see the name Bartholomew, which is most likely Nathaniel as well. And so when Philip starts to follow Jesus, he goes and he tells Nathaniel, We found him. Specifically, the one who was written in the Old Testament, Moses and the law and the prophets. Moses is the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so Philip says here, that this Jesus whom he's speaking of is the one that Moses wrote about. I mean, think about that for a second. (laughs) As Moses is writing the scriptures, he's writing about Jesus, the one who was to come, but the one who had already existed There are several places. We've seen some of this already. One of them is Deuteronomy 18. This is where Moses says that there's going to be another prophet like me who will come among from among the brothers. Genesis 3.15, we see this seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Also in Genesis 3, we see this this picture of atonement where an animal was killed to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And in Numbers 21, we have this interesting story about the people of Israel. They start to complain and argue, we don't have any food or water and the food that you've given us is worthless. So what does God do? He sends snakes to bite the people and kill them because of their, because of their disobedience and rebellion against him. But then there's this bronze serpent who is lifted up and God says to Moses, whoever looks at the bronze serpent that is lifted up is going to live. How is that related to Jesus at all? Well, Jesus even says it in John chapter three. He says that Moses lifted up the serpent 
in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That serpent was pointing towards Christ. That all who look upon the lifted up Savior will live. There's so much in the Old Testament that speaks of Christ because the Old Testament is all about Jesus Christ. And so Moses writes about Jesus. He writes in the law about Jesus. And one of the the misunderstandings that the Jews had and even people today is that they think that obedience to the law brings eternal life. But what was the point of the law? The law was meant to point people to Jesus because they could not keep it themselves. And this is what Paul speaks about in Galatians. He says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The law was meant to point people to Jesus to show them, I cannot keep the law perfectly. This is whom Moses wrote about. But also the prophets wrote about Jesus. You have Isaiah 53, which gives an outline of a suffering servant. One who would be crushed on our behalf, who would take upon himself our sins and transgressions. You have the story of Hosea, who marries an unfaithful wife. And what a picture that Christ marries an unfaithful woman and cleanses her purifies her so that she's spotless and blameless. Hosea really highlights the faithfulness of God. And the church is the bride of Christ. And we have the story of Jonah, who as he was in the belly of the whale or the big fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. The Jews were looking for Jesus. They were looking specifically for a Messiah. And so Philip tells Nathaniel, we have found him. And how interesting to see that when Philip begins to follow Jesus... One of the first things he does is that he goes and tells someone else about Jesus. And so if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are called to do the same. There are people in our lives, perhaps it's family members, neighbors, co-workers, Whoever else you interact with in your life that is not a Christian, they too need to hear about this wonderful, amazing Savior. And sometimes when we think about 
evangelizing or, or proclaiming the gospel. It's intimidating. We're, we're struck with fear. Perhaps sometimes we feel even paralyzed. The words don't come out. I think it's important for us to remember that God is the one who is sovereign. <laughs> He's the one who actually saves and he uses us to preach his message to bring sinners to himself. As a church, we want to celebrate these various wins. You know, sometimes we think, if I, if I share the gospel with someone and they, and they don't come to faith in Christ, I have lost. Brothers and sisters, if you proclaim the gospel to a lost sinner, praise God. God is the one who saves. We're called to preach the message. So I think it's helpful for us because maybe we think, man, that is, that is so difficult to do. Start somewhere. Can you ask your neighbor, would you like to come to church with me? Or would you like to go to the student union with me and sit down and have coffee and talk about religion, the Bible, Christianity? Would you like to sit down and read the Gospel of John with me? Hey, I was in, I was in church earlier today or yesterday. And we learned about Jesus, the Messiah. We learned about the gospel. Do you know what that is? Ask people, what's your understanding of who Jesus is? Because it's all wrapped up in who he is, his identity. Because there are people who profess the name of Christ and they're not Christians. They have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is, the true Jesus. And what better way to show them from God's word, this is who Jesus is. So I encourage us, we, we all need to do this. Pastors need to evangelize too. That as a church, we can pray for one another, encourage one another in our evangelistic efforts. There are many people in Ozaki County who do not know Jesus Christ. In our church, with maybe 600, 700 seats, cannot hold everyone in Ozaki County. So we need more churches. We need more churches, we need more gospel presence in Ozaki County, and more preaching of the gospel by Christians. And we pray that God, in your kindness, that he would bring many sinners to repentance and faith in Christ, to be baptized, to join the church, and to grow in their faith. And like Philip, who would go and tell him, we have found him. But sometimes you come across people who are skeptical. 
like Nathaniel. Verse 46, Nathaniel, when he hears this, he, he said to him, he says to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, there was a, some negative connotation with, with Nazareth, negative reputation. And so Nathaniel's wondering, Nazareth? Seriously? What good can come from Nazareth? And perhaps that is your view of God, of Jesus. What good comes from God? Perhaps you have a, an, an unbiblical view of who God is. Perhaps you actually grew up in a church that preached about God, but it wasn't the true God of the Bible. Perhaps you grew up in a church that all they preached about was the wrath of God. And so you have this idea that God is seated on a throne with a, 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 a hand of judgment getting ready to crush you if you do anything wrong. That he's harsh. Or maybe on the flip side, you grew up in a church or were a part of a church that all they preached about was the love of God. That God accepts anyone and everyone and allows them to continue in their sin because God doesn't care about sin. And the problem with, with those is that, both of those is that it denies the simplicity of God. That is, the simplicity of God teaches that God is not made up of parts. He's not 20% holy and 30% love and 40% just. He is all of those. Or perhaps you've gone through some tragedy and suffering and you're wondering if God is good, if he is who he says he is, if he even exists, why did this happen? And you can't believe in a God who would do something like that, who would take away your spouse or that there's a divorce or the death of another loved one. And you're wondering, is God even real? Or perhaps you see Jesus as a good man, as a, as a good teacher, one who you can follow his example and that is the only way you see Jesus. But notice how Philip responds in verse 46. Philip said to him, come and see. Come and see. Come and see who this Jesus is that I have found, that I am telling you about. Come and see for yourself. Because sometimes 
There are people who have this view of God but have not looked at the scriptures to the real Jesus. And maybe that's you this morning. You've been skeptical. I've heard things about Jesus, but have you looked at Jesus? Have you seen him? The beauty and the wonder of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. Have you seen him? Sometimes when we come across those who are skeptics, we tend to back away. Amabian said at that time, we pray, Lord, give me wisdom. And we simply say, come and see for yourself. See this Jesus that I follow. And so when Jesus sees Nathaniel coming, he tells him or says, behold, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Nathaniel is just a, a straight, straightforward guy. But then Nathanael is perplexed by this. Verse 48, he says, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What's Nathanael's response? (laughs) Nathanael in verse 9 answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathanael was blown away. He couldn't comprehend how this guy who's from Nazareth can know this about him. How is it that he can... He saw him even before he saw him. How is that possible? It's because Jesus is the omniscient God. He knows all things. Everything. He knows everything about everything about everything. That is something that can only be attributed to God. And this is why Nathaniel responds, you are the son of God, begotten of God, begotten, not made, very God, very God. And that might be scary to us to think, Jesus knows everything about me. The stuff that no one else knows, the stuff that you have hidden from everyone in your family, all your friends, all your relatives that only you know, and you're saying, I'm going to take this to my grave. So Jesus knows every single one of the sins that you have committed, are committing, will commit, and he still came to offer himself as the Lamb of God in your place. 
the all-knowing God who knows the depth of your heart still came to offer himself, to give himself up for you, to die for sinners in their place. Who, although that there was an insult from the lips of Nathaniel, took the insults upon himself. That's the true Jesus. Do you believe him? Have you professed faith in this Jesus? Let's look at the exclusivity of Jesus. There's much talk today about many, many paths to God, that, that all roads lead to heaven, all relig- religions are the same, it's the same God, but is that true? You know, this, this past summer, if you live in the Cedarburg area or drive through Cedarburg, you know that 181, that there was construction, right? They were fixing something there. I don't know, I don't know what, but our, our backyard is, is, is butt up right against 181. And so they're working on the roads. And so I usually take 181 to come to the church, but there was construction. I had to go a different way. And so I did. Well, I had to, right? It's not like you could drive through it. But there were times where you're able to drive through a little bit. But the fact of the matter is, right, I'm going through a different route. It takes me a little bit longer to get to the church, but it's fine, right? But there are different ways in your GPS that can take you somewhere. If you look at Google Maps, it now even has something about how you can save more gas. You seen that? No? Check it out later. You can save more gas by taking a different route. Or do you guys say route here in Wisconsin? I'm not really sure. But anyway, you can save more gas. But there are different ways to get to your destination. And sometimes people think that's the same way with God. There are different paths to get to God. What does Jesus say? Look at verse 51. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now we might say, well, that's, a, that's, that's interesting. What is, what is Jesus referring to here? Well, this actually takes us back to Genesis with Jacob. You might know this story, Genesis 28. Verses 10 through 12, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that sleep. And here it is, verse 12. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And now Jesus says that you're going to see the heavens open 
and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is he referring to? He's referring to himself. That the only way to get to the Father is through the Son. He is the ladder. He is the mediator between God and man and that there is no other way. There's not a different route you can take. It's not even that you're climbing the ladder of good works to get up to heaven because you can't. There is no way. Actually, you're going in the total opposite direction, but the Son of God came. He lived a perfect life in obedience to the law that you and I could not keep. He offers himself up on the old rugged cross with nails in his hands and nails in his feet. And he shed his blood for you so that you might have access to God. He is the only way. And Jesus is very clear about this. The rest of the scriptures are very clear about this. A verse you're probably familiar with, John 14, 6. Jesus said to them, said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, you catch that, no one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other name under heaven. There's, there's no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. And as Jesus told his disciples, the world is going to hate you because they hated him. So when you tell other people that Jesus is the only way, just know that some people will reject you. Some people will hate you. Some people will despise you and say, no, you need to be inclusive. But Jesus himself says he is the only way. No other way. And look how John ends his gospel in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These things are written for you so that you may believe. So maybe you hear the exclusivity of Christ and you say, he's not inclusive enough. What's amazing about Jesus Christ, that he is the exclusive savior, the only way to God. And yet all who come to him in faith, he will by no means reject. Why is that? (laughs) Why is that? Because he, the son of God, was despised and rejected for us. All the insults and reproaches fell on Jesus so that we might be accepted by God. If you do not know Jesus Christ, 
He's calling you, the king of Israel, the king of the world, is calling you today to come to him. To receive him by faith and by faith alone. That no amount of good works that you can do to get to God, but simply believe. Cry out to the Savior and he will accept you. Not because you're a great person, but because he's great. Have you seen the Christ, the Jesus Christ in the scriptures? He is a wonderful Savior. And he will not reject you. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior, our God, our King. And I pray, Lord, that you grip our hearts with the beauty of Jesus Christ. And that would propel us to love you, to evangelize to proclaim your gospel to the lost. And I pray now, Lord, as we, we look to the table, that you would remind us again of your amazing love for us. And we pray all these things in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, you can take your communion elements out. Uh, twice in John, in John the Baptist, in John chapter 1, he mentions that Jesus is the Lamb of God. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament with Passover. And the instructions for the Passover meal says this, that your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a one-year-old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. This was going to be the final plague in Egypt as the Israelites were enslaved. God was going to set them free, but first the Passover the instructions then were, was this, verse 12 of Exodus 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so Israel is spared as they put the blood over their doorpost. And God, the, the, the angel of the Lord, passes over, Passover, And so they are then spared. But notice that there's still judgment. And this is, this is foreshadowing something else. That there's still judgment for sin, for disobedience, for rebellion against God. And Jesus is the Passover lamb.
he was judged. Judgment was executed upon him instead of you, Christian. The blood of Jesus Christ has spared your life so that there's no more judgment for you. Just forgiveness. The blood has cleansed you of all of your sin. And so this meal is for Christians. If you're not a Christian, do not partake in this meal. But simply call upon the name of the Lord and you too will be spared. But Christian, this meal is for you as it points forward to Christ who would be betrayed and crucified on your behalf. And so Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, broke it, gave thanks and said, this is my body, which is for you, Christian. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And we're reminded in the new covenant that God remembers our sins no more. So Christian, take and drink. Let's remember that as often as we do this, we... We proclaim together as a church the Lord's death until he comes. And one day he's coming back. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And we will feast together with our God and Savior. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks again. We're filled with gratitude for your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray, God, that your, your word would convict us. Your word would point us to your son. And we'd be, rem- be reminded of how great and glorious you are. And Lord, for those who have not yet trusted in you, I pray that in your kindness... You would lead them to repentance and faith. And we pray, Lord, too, that as a church, you would increase our evangelistic efforts. That we would pray for one another, encourage one another. And I pray, Lord, that even today you would give us both gospel opportunities and gospel boldness. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.